BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. The palace is trying to keep the peace between William and Harry as the Duke of Sussex and Meghan Markle are to be deposed in Samantha Markle's case. This is such a, I can't think of an elegant word for it, dumpster fire? Yes. <laughs> That's the perfect word for this. Plus, Queen Consort Camilla has COVID as William and Kate gear up for the BAFTAs. BAFTAs award ceremony always brings out a really, really fabulous outfit from Kate. So we definitely have that to look forward to. And author Claudia Joy tells us the real story about Princess Diana's revenge dress. So she went into her closet and her her pool barrel suggested she wore the little black dress. And of course, it got dubbed the revenge dress. But I'm not sure how much revenge was actually in her mind when she wore it. We've got that plus so much more in today's Royally Us. Hello, our fellow royal lovers, and welcome to Royally Us. I'm Christina. That's Christine. And not a crazy busy week in royal news, uh, but a lot of interesting stories. Yeah, there's some real, um, really interesting historical stories that we're going to dive into, but nothing too dramatic, which after a really dramatic, dramatic couple of months in the royal news world, I feel like that's okay. <laughs> I feel good about it. I feel good. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see what you guys had to say about last week's show. Angelica says, if Camilla wanted the spotlight, she could have written books, did interviews, TV shows, and had lots of money. She never said a word, even going through actual worldwide torture for years. I used to very much dislike Camilla, but I've learned about these situations as I've grown up. I mean, she definitely makes a good point. If Camilla wanted to, she definitely could have capitalized on her relationship with uh, King Charles, but she didn't. And she stayed silent for love. And I guess they saw that this was, you know, their end all love story. Definitely. And, and I've heard so many people say that, you know, the more they learn about Camilla, the more that they like her and their opinions ultimately change drastically. Mm-hmm. I think she's um, an incredibly strong woman who's been through like, they said torture on a global scale. Um, And now the projects that she supports are just, they're so important. Mm -hmm. It really is. All right. Marjorie says, Harry doesn't care about anyone else's privacy, but he gets really upset and angry when people reveal his private details. Good points. Uh, this was, of course, I think bouncing off the story where he, um, where the woman who he lost his virginity to came forward and they make a good point. He was not happy when stories about him were leaked. So why is he doing that to other people? Yeah, it's such a tricky situation. It's a line that he had to toe, and I don't know that he towed the line very well. Um, you know, a lot of criticism towards Meghan and Harry has come from them 
saying they wanted privacy or implying that they wanted privacy in a private life and not really living a very private life. Right. No, definitely. And then finally, Diane says, I think it's absolutely fabulous that the family opened their homes to people in need. How wonderful that would be. I'm talking about Charles and Camilla opening up these warm banks to people that need some shelter during these cold winter months. Yeah, I think it makes it extra special if you are struggling that you're, you know, weekly uh, cup of tea and a warm place to be is literally the king's castle love it all right well let's get into our royal roundup and kick it off with queen camilla who has tested positive for covid nearly a year to the day after she was first diagnosed with covid19 buckingham palace shared on the news in a statement saying after suffering the symptoms of a cold her majesty the queen consort has tested positive for covid virus with regret she has therefore canceled all her public engagements for this week and sends her sincere apologies to those who had been due to attend them um this of course comes uh, like i said almost a year to the day after last time so we hope it's just uh, a cold this time around and she's resting and, and doing okay. Yeah, it was interesting how cautious they were because originally it said that she had a seasonal cold and really wasn't feeling well. That was quickly followed up that she had tested positive for COVID. So it, they are clearly being very cautious when they go out and meet members of the public, especially if you're on a walkabout and you're going to shake hands with hundreds of people, you know, right. you have to be careful that you're not infectious. Oh, definitely. I'm sure they have bottles and bottles of hand sanitizer with them wherever <laughs> they are. Um, we also got some historic news um, for Camilla this week as well. So we're, we're learning about the heirloom that she's going to be wearing to the coronation. So she will wear the Queen's Mary crown. Um, Buckingham Palace just announced this and the crown set with t- over 2000 diamonds was worn by Queen Mary when she took part in the coronation alongside her husband, King George. This was back in 1911. Now, it will mark the first time in recent history that an existing crown will be used for the coronation instead of a new commission being made. Um, The palace said it is in the interest of sustainability and efficiency. Now, the last time a queen consort's crown was reused was back in the 18th century when Queen Caroline, consort of George II, wore Mary of Medina's crown. Um, So what do you think? What do you make of this? This is, you know, there's definitely historical precedent. It's not completely unheard of to sort of recycle a coronation crown from another um, former consort. I think that there's definitely a lot you could read into this. It's definitely a mark of sustainability. It's a sign of the times with the UK going through a cost of living crisis. An enormous diamond encrusted crown just was not going (laughs) to not going to go over well with the people. But she is not choosing to wear Queen Elizabeth, Queen Mother's coronation crown. This is somewhat interesting because Queen Elizabeth's crown is set with a Koh-i-Noor diamond, which is really controversial in terms of its origins. There's lots of ties to Britain's unsavory colonial history with that diamond in particular. So Camilla choosing Queen Mary's crown is much more fitting. It is being sort of updated for her. She's having some of the stones reset with Queen Elizabeth II's um, beloved Cullinan diamonds from some of her favorite jewelry pieces had the Cullinan diamonds set inside of them. So there's a little bit of Queen Elizabeth II with the newly crowned Queen Camilla on that very special day. I love it. I can't wait to see it. Um, And, you know, we're only a few months away. It's going to be here before we know it. It's so soon. (laughs) 
<laughs> wait. Um, well, a fan did the uh, did the hard work for us and asked King Charles about Prince Harry and probably not the um, reaction or the question that he was expecting. So he was greeting onlookers at the University of East London last week when one attendee yelled, bring back Harry, please. Can you bring him back, sir? Well, Charles didn't really hear the first part of the comment and asked who when the person replied, Harry, your son. He kept laughing and just kept walking. Now, the royal family as we know, hasn't publicly commented on Spare. But, um, you know, he said, and of course, uh, we've all been waiting to see if they're going to say something. At this point, I don't think we're going to. But yeah, he definitely laughed off this comment. <laughs> yeah, it's a very brave man in the audience <laughs> asking that directly to, <laughs> to the king's face. Uh -huh. And I think the royal family does just kind of have to laugh and walk on because unfortunately if the king had responded what on earth do you say and that would sort of be international headlines so honestly I think it was well handled by King Charles just to sort of you know pretend you didn't hear him and laugh and walk on um, it is really difficult to hear at those events if you've ever been at any royal event but specifically a walkabout there's so many people shouting photographers cameras flashing it's such a high energy experience but yeah it's impossible to hear anything yeah I, I highly yeah. doubt that he <laughs> Was, I don't think he meant like, who? Who's my son? I think he just couldn't hear it. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, like we were talking about before, the king and queen love some sustainability, and King Charles is doing that even with his socks. Um, he and wife, Queen Consort Camillo, were visiting a mosque in London, but all eyes and all cameras were on the hole in King, in king Charles's sock. Upon arriving at the mosque, uh, he was wearing a long overcoat over a dress shirt and midnight blue pants. He took off his shoes, as is in the custom house of worship, revealing a small hole on the top of his right black sock. Camilla added a, um, a headscarf to her cream-colored ensemble. And, you know, like we were saying, he loves sustainability. This has been a uh, big passion of his. And he drew praise for his sustainable fashion after wearing a tweed coat he's had since the 1980s. Um, he said, um, he told British Vogue in 2020, I happen to be one of those people who'd get shoes or any item of clothing repaired if I can, rather than just throw it away. Maybe sometimes we just got to throw away those socks that have holes in them, though. Throw it away. That might be an exception to the sustainability rules. But they could probably, you know, be sewn. You know, some valet somewhere in the palace is horrified and really worried he's going to lose, lose his job now. Definitely, but it's still so funny. It just shows again that royals are just like us. So relatable. <laughs> All right. Well, this is something to look forward to because on February 19th, just a few days away, Prince William and Princess Kate will be returning to the BAFTAs um, after two years. They haven't been there in a couple of years. So in 2021, the couple weren't in attendance because the ceremony took place one day after the death of Prince Philip. And last year, an insider told us that the duo skipped the festivities because of diary constraints. So as we know, William has been the president of the British Academy of Film and Television Arts since 2010, taking over the role from um, the late Richard Attenborough. Um, and then <clears throat> Prince Philip, who died. Um, that's why they couldn't be there a few years ago. So it's nice to see them back. We always love a great red carpet moment from the two. Yeah, this tends to be one of Kate's most glamorous red carpet events as well, outside of the big film premieres, which are again tied to the Baptist organization. This BAFTA's award ceremony always brings out a really, really fabulous outfit from Kate. So we definitely have that to look forward to.
Definitely cannot wait. Um, well, they uh, Kate and William made their first visit to Cornwall, um, the region since becoming the Duke and Duchess of Cornwall following the death of Queen Elizabeth. They kicked off their visit at the National Maritime Museum, uh, Cornwall in Falmouth. And after being briefed about their rich maritime history of the southwestern tip of England, they were shown a poignant project in the workshop. They then watched people from a local school taking part in a model boat race. It, this seemed like a lot of uh, a really great time, but there was such a special moment between Kate and her former history teacher from her prep school, Jim Embury. The Princess of Wales gave him a big hug, said that she teaches her kids some of the lessons that he taught. And I love this because it shows that Kate really is a hugger. <laughs> this has been such an interesting story. And I've seen lots of people pull up images from across the years where Kate definitely is and has always been a hugger in certain situations, which really does contradict what Harry mentions in his book about the first time they met Megan. So clearly this just shows that there's more to what to Harry's side of the story than, you know, what we're being told because Kate loves to hug people. <laughs> you know, like she if you look at all the photos over the years, she's very much um, you know, likes a good cuddle. <laughs> definitely, definitely loves a good cuddle. Love to see it. All right. Well, this was a great moment because King Charles hosted President Vladimir Zelensky during the Ukrainian leader's surprise visit to the UK. King Charles welcomed him, expressed how delighted he was to have him there. And as the president replied that it was a great honor to be there, thanking him for finding the time to meet with him. King told him, we've all been worried about you and thinking about your country for so long. I can't tell you. And he said, thank you so much. They chatted for about 30 minutes in the 1844 room about the, of course, the war in Ukraine. So it was nice to for them to have this moment and, you know, showing that the UK is there to support the uh, the uh, sport Ukraine during their time of need. You know, it's so interesting because the royal family, as a general rule, is not is supposed to be apolitical. Mm -hmm. And so their support of the, you know, the first lady and the president of Ukraine and just the conflict in Ukraine as a whole has really been telling in terms of how people feel and how the royal family feels about this situation in in with the war in Ukraine. And I love how supportive they've been the way that William and Kate have met with um the president's wife and how Kate has really, you know, generated a, what seems to be a genuine friendship with her and all the visits to, you know, the Ukrainian cultural center, the Ukrainian choir singing at Kate's Christmas concert. This has become a very, very close, very important friendship during an unimaginable time for the country of Ukraine. Yeah, love to see it. It's really great. All right, well, let's move on, spill some royal tea. And this is going, talking about some tea, some tea is about to be spilled because Prince Harry and Meghan Markle will be deposed in the defamation case brought forward by Samantha Markle. That's, of course, uh, Meghan's estranged half-sister. So according to CNN, a judge did rule in Florida that this was going to happen. And Samantha is suing Megan for defamation and injurious falsehood in response to the royal couple's uh, CBS tell interview in 2021. She alleges in her suit that Megan made false and malicious statements in the bombshell interview that aired to a worldwide audience of roughly 50 million people in 17 countries. She also points to the uh, 2020 book Finding Freedom and um, and said that Megan published and disseminated false and malicious statements about her family and upbringing. Her sister initially sued Megan in March of 2022, claiming that the, that she was not honest about her past or their father, Thomas Markle, in her CBS sit down interview. She attempted Megan to have the meritless, quote unquote, lawsuit dismissed three months later. 
This is going to get really interesting because Megan alleged that Samantha deleted numerous specific factual allegations and exhibits from the, her original complaint. Megan's request was dismissed at the time. And CNN reports that Megan filed a motion in September of 2022 to stop depositions or out of court testimonies used to gather evidence. But a judge is thinking otherwise and they will be on the stand. I this is such a I can't think of an elegant word for it. dumpster fire. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> perfect word for this <laughs> um the you know i've noticed lately in a lot of these lawsuits these judges don't seem to have a lot of um patience or um what's the word i want to use sort of Empathy? forgiveness yeah. towards yeah there's no leeway for for megan and harry's case and ultimately all of the papers every news source in the world is so excited about this case because it's just going to be really revealing and unfortunately you know megan did try and have the case stopped because i think she knows that this is going to be a bit of a disaster um and yeah, I think tea, spilling tea is definitely what's going to occur in this courtroom. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, this can turn into a literal circus. I mean, this can be televised, as we saw with Amber Heard and Johnny Depp's defamation lawsuit. Like, everybody's going to be tuning in and everybody's going to be watching this. And not sure what Samantha Markle's end goal is here, if she wants to settle, if she doesn't want this to get any further, maybe that'll happen. But it seems like she is looking to publicly smear uh, Megan, which because she feels like they did that to her. So I think that she's going to take this as far as she possibly can. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Yeah, it's very interesting because I don't think she's requesting that much money in the grand scheme of things, certainly not in the scheme of, you know, the cost of their Montecito mansion. Mm -hmm. So Samantha Markle, I believe, is asking for $75,000, mm -hmm. which really is a drop in the, in the suffixes bucket. Mm -hmm. But settling would then admit that they were wrong. It's really well crafted because it's something that they could easily pay off and make it go away, but then they would be admitting that Samantha was right. So yeah, I think that Samantha's end goal here is really to just get as much juicy gossip and sort of as much tea spilled as possible. I can understand why she might have some animosity towards her, <laughs> towards her sister. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I think this is another one, like when they sued, when they, you know, um, sued the Associated Press, it's just going to generate more negative headlines and really just, you know, bring up their name in a negative light in the papers again and again and again. Mm -hmm. 
again and again and again. Well, we're going to be tuning in now. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Prince William and Prince Harry, as we know, they're still on, still at odds after Harry released his book. But the palace is hoping to smooth things over before the coronation. An insider did tell us weekly that the longer the feud continues, the less likely there will be a reconciliation. With the coronation just a few months away, appropriate actions need to be taken immediately. The source adds that the firm is trying to figure out whether it's possible for the brothers to repair their relationship before he is crowned on May 6th. An insider tells us the palace is trying to come up with solutions to keep the peace and form some kind of reconnection and unity between William and Harry. It's now or never. The coronation is the time to celebrate and no one wants this dark cloud hanging over the festivities on such a significant occasion. I totally agree with this, but I just don't know if it's going to happen. And I think we've said it in you know several interviews that we've had with some experts that even if they do come, that's going to be the story then. It's really going to be taking away from the monumentous occasion that this is. Ultimately, this this somehow is always a cloud hanging over every royal event now. Will they be there? Won't they be there? If they're there, that's the story. If they're not there, that's the story. You know, they did manage the 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 Diamond Jubilee fairly well and that they only attended the church service. They pretty much laid low the entire time. We basically barely saw them. But even when we saw them at the church service, that they were booed, they weren't booed. And that was a whole story about this historical and very pleasant and uplifting, you know, Christian ceremony was about whether or not the Sussexes were booed upon arrival. Mm -hmm. So it is, you know, it's a lose-lose situation here. As much as we would like to see the family reconcile, what what do they do? There is no answer here. You know? yeah, <laughs> there is no right like, answer here. Right. Like you said, it's a lose-lose situation and, you know, nobody's really going to come out on top of this. So I feel like probably keeping our distance is probably the best, uh, the best thing to do at this point, but... <laughs> Who knows? All right. Well, this is uh, interesting. So it's time to break down the royal rules. And this week we sat down with Claudia Joy. She's the author of Diana, A Life in Dresses, published by ACC Arts Books. So she talked all about Diana's timeless fashion and the real story behind that famous revenge dress. Take a look. The book is absolutely beautiful and it's so um, well researched and I learned so much. So what made you want to put this together? You know, all the hundred dresses of Princess Diana. Well, I think I was um, doing an article for um, a, a magazine in the UK, and I discovered that so many of her dresses you can go and see. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be a really interesting book to, you know, actually say where these dresses are. So if you decide, if you're in Santiago, for instance, mm-hmm. there's a, a wonderful fashion museum there, and um, they've got loads of Diana's dresses and they're going to donate them um, when the owner goes to back to Kensington Palace. And I think people love clothes and love seeing these dresses. So I thought, well, nobody knows where they are. I loved when you wrote in the in the book, how she had, when she picked out her engagement dress, it was almost like this pretty woman moment. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, actually, it was an engagement suit. So I don't okay, know if yeah. you want to re-ask that again. Okay, but okay. It, um, but... Um, she basically, her mother um, knew the designer, David Sassoon, who worked for Belvin Sassoon. And, and she went in by herself one Friday evening and the shop assistant didn't recognize her. Mm-hmm. And so sort of she didn't know what she wanted. And I think the assistant became a bit impatient with her and said, basically, why don't you go to Harrods, dear? You'll find what you're looking for there. And then, of course, the next day, um, David and uh, and Belinda were in the office or in the shop and the little shop assistant, another shop assistant said, I think that um, 
Princess Diana came in yesterday and they were like, what do you mean she came in and we didn't design and, you know, and she wore an off the peg suit from Kajana for her, for her engagement photo, the blue suit, which um, is um, obviously everybody remembers, but wasn't necessarily the most elegant of, of outfits. Right. Yes. Big mistake. Huge. Right. <laughs> um, exactly. You, I know when you said when she was married to Prince Charles, she, you know, she wore, um, you know, shoes that weren't, uh, you know, so she didn't tower over him and things like that. Do you ever feel like her style was restricted when she was married to him? I, I, I think that you, you have to dress for the role. I think she was very conscious of having young children as well. So she didn't want to walk around in mini dresses and skirts, mm-hmm. um, and things like that. It, usually it, it, the Royals don't wear black, although in recent Mm-hmm. Years we've seen the Duchess of Cambridge and our Princess of Wales in, in black dresses. Um, I know that when she went on her first public engagement with Prince Charles before they were married, mm-hmm. she wore a black bouffant Elizabeth Emmanuel creation. And, and Charles said to her, you know, royals don't wear black. And she said, well, I'm not a royal yet. So did Princess Diana send any like subtle hints or messages through her fashion? Obviously, the famous black sheep sweater and things like that. But were there any other like subtle hints that maybe she maybe she gave through her her looks? Well, I think the most iconic one was the revenge dress yep. mm-hmm. um, when she went to the Serpentine Gallery on the night of Prince Charles's infamous interview um, with Dimbleby, and and she wore. Um, a very short, very sexy black dress, um, which obviously um, gave him a certain message, shall we say? <laughs> exactly. And I think the press obviously dubbed it the revenge dress and mm-hmm. um, as in, look what you're missing. Do you have a favorite uh, like behind the scenes story of an outfit or a dress? Um, I think... Uh, I think the story behind her wearing the revenge dress was quite interesting because she um, was she'd gone into Christina Stambolian's dress shop in Beach and Place with her brother Charlie Spencer, and he gallantly, I think most brothers wouldn't, um, sat there while she tried on dress it, tried on some clothes, and then she ordered a, a, the black revenge dress from Christina Stambolian and she wanted it in white and, and Christina said, no, no, I think it would look better in black. And um, and it was very short and she was like umming and ahhing about it and Christina was like, this looks fabulous on you. So she ordered the dress and then it arrived at Kensington Palace and got put in her closet. On the day of the event at the Serpentine, news leaked that she was going to wear a Valentina number. And so she got quite angry about that. So she went into her closet and her butler, Paul Burrell, suggested she wore the little black dress. And of course, it got dubbed the revenge dress. But I'm not sure how much revenge was actually in her mind when she wore it. What is your favorite? I'm sure it's hard to pick, but do you have a favorite look of hers? You're right, it's very hard to pick. I think that blue velvet Victor Edelstein dress she wore to dance with John Travolta has to be at the top. He's such an exquisite couturier and he's a fantastic artist as well, actually. And he did this, he 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 did the drawings in the book for me and he actually drew one for me personally as well, which is wonderful. Um, but it was such a, a momentous occasion at the White House and... Um, John Travolta wondered why he didn't have a guest with him and then discovered that Diana had asked 
connected with him. So I think that, you know, it was an exquisite dress. The blue velvet was stunning and suited her so marvellously. And, um, yeah, that's one of my favourites. I mean, I think a lot of her outfits were sort of last minute decisions. When I spoke to Victor Edelstein about the John Travolta dress and yeah. he had a phone call in the middle of the night from Leon Talley from Vogue saying, why why blue? Why velvet? And Victor was like, I really didn't know what to say. You know, what can you say to that? But, um, you know, his Victor's theory was that Diana took two or three dresses with her to the White House and decided on the night what to wear. And I think... I think that is probably makes sense. I, I think a lot of us have a couple of outfits, but mm-hmm. when you decide at the very last minute, this is what I feel like wearing today. Or someone says, oh, I don't know, you look fat in that. And you take it off and put something else on. Definitely, that's so <laughs> I true. Think, I, I think it's that simple, really. But um, I think, you know, there are a lot of dresses commissioned for particular occasions and then they're dresses that she wore more than once because she obviously liked them and then she had that dress sale you know after her divorce because she said she had no longer had a need for that royal wardrobe anymore so um, a lot of those beautiful dresses were sold which is wonderful for us now because we can see them whereas if she hadn't had that sale they'd still sort of who knows where they'd be now. Right. I don't know if you know this, but is there anything that, you know, Prince William and Prince Harry like held on to from Diana's wardrobe that maybe will never go for sale or never be, you know, donated to museums or things like that? I think um, there are quite a few outfits that they would have inherited on Diana's death that were in her wardrobe. Obviously the wedding dress um, and her going away outfit, which is... um, which David soon told me he found um, in plastic. He was trying desperately to find it and eventually went to St. James's Palace. And they were like, we haven't got the going away outfit, but we've got this outfit. And he opened it and said, this is the going away outfit. So, you know, William and Harry own those. There were a lot of dresses that she had in the last year of her life, the five um, famous five by Jacques Azaguri that were much shorter and more fun and frivolous. They were in an exhibition that Earl Spencer had at Althorp after Diana's death mm-hmm. of some of her dresses. I haven't seen them come on the open market since, so I'm assuming that William and Harry still own those mm-hmm. um, and she loved those dresses. Um, I don't think we'll see. It, it's, it's a difficult one, but I don't th- some of them occasionally get lent to Kensington Palace for an exhibition. So, and they're courtesy of Princess William and Harry. Mm-hmm. Um, there are quite a few that I think still belong to them. I love that she said that the revenge dress was supposed to be in white. She wasn't even supposed to wear it that night. Like, you know, it's just everything happens for a reason. And, you know, this is a dress that's going to go down in history. <laughs> I know. I love hearing. I feel like Diana was such a style icon. Even so many years later, we could still really dive into all the choices and all the designs and ah, so fun. So fun. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get into our pint size palace and Princess Eugenie and Jack Brooks. First child, August turned two and the Royal posted a loving tribute on her personal Instagram page to mark the milestone. She wrote happy second birthday to our boy, Augie. You are our world's greatest joy. Keep dancing and smiling, my angel. The footage is just so cute. He's running down a path at a park. He's laughing. He's smiling. He's dancing. Love seeing these home videos that they decide to share with us. And, um, you know, it's I think he's going to be a, a great big brother. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know it's so exciting for them to be welcoming another baby. Mm-hmm. And I think it was such a sweet tribute to their, you know, first baby boy on, on his birthday. And it really does seem like they are living sort of a low key life. You know, we don't see a lot of pap photos of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he does seem to, he gets to go to the park and to the zoo and do very normal little boy things. Definitely. Yeah, no, it definitely seems like they're bringing him up in a very, as normal as it possibly can yes. be. <laughs> very happy and smiling and loving. And I just love it. Give us some more behind the scenes footage. I love to see it. <laughs> yes, yes. More normal kids having fun, except the royals. Except, except the royals. royals. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for this week's episode of Royally Us. Next week, we're going to break down the BAFTAs. Like we said, it's going to be a great red carpet moment. So there'll be lots to chat about next week. But keep commenting, keep subscribing, and we'll see you guys next week.